Welcome to episode 55 of the Two Indie Authors Podcast with me, Robert Enright. And me, David B. Lyons. On today's show, the two indie authors welcome Michael and Amelia from Ream, a subscription platform that can help authors generate more revenue. How? Well, we're going to dive headfirst into that question as our main talking point. After that, we will be answering a mailbag question sent in by one of you lovely readers mm. on the best formatting software we can use as indie authors. And that's all before cosy crime author Jamie West joins us to answer our seven questions, Robert. But we shall begin, mm. as we always do, by discussing our week, our past week as indie authors. Um, how have you been doing, Rob? You had a lunch since we last spoke i did um it's been a couple of weeks hasn't it um yeah so i think we'll just throw a small apology out to our listeners um for an unexpected week off um there were some severe technical issues with our podcasting platform and we did try we did we did record an episode that didn't really record, which was a shame. Um, but we will pick up that topic again on a, on a later episode. I feel. Yeah. Um, but also, we we really tried a lot. We, we put did. a lot of hours in David yeah. to try and recover that podcast and get yeah. an episode out. So yeah, you're a patient man, um, Robert Enright. <laughs> um, well, I don't think the people who are on our podcast provider think that. Anywho, uh, so yeah, so. An apology to to our listeners for that. Sometimes shit just happens and yeah. it's out of our control. But um, with regards to what's been going on, I have launched a book. I've launched the first book. Uh, David, you can see it. People can't. Uh, there it is on my shelf. Oh, yeah, on your shelf. Um, yep. The Dead of Night, which is a new series and a new genre for me. Um, and yeah, it's gone quite well. It's gone. Right. It's done what I expected it. What I hoped it to do, not expected, what I hoped for it to do, which was nice. to, it's selling solidly. It's not selling at the rate of my Sam Pope series because Sam Pope series right. is my bread and butter. Yeah. But it's, it's selling consistently every day. Um, it's getting good number of page reads. But what's most important is it's getting some really good reviews. Great. Um, I think it's already up to like 30 or something on Amazon with like a four and a half star nice. and what that does is it just tells me this wasn't a waste of time yeah um this was yeah. okay cool i can do this i can write this genre i can i can write it well enough that people come back and the second one's up for pre-order for like halfway through next year like right i'll have it done before then but i'm already getting pre-orders of that coming in so oh, great it, in that sense it's been a real success because now it's like okay cool this is the start of something new yeah, and if I just go as consistently as I've done the Sam Pope um, series, I could be on to another winner, which would yeah. be tremendous. And it, it gives me the the flexibility to write something different every other book as well. So, yeah. um, as you can imagine, that's pretty much been the main focus um, over the past few weeks. We're halfway through Nano Rimo. Um, and I think I'm at about 30,000 words nearly now on the new oh, wow, Sampo nice. book. So um, I'm going to hit the NaNoWriMo target of 50,000. I'll get my my little certificate um, for the second year running, which would be nice. quite good. But yeah, so it's been, it's been really busy, really productive, really kind of like it, it, it's, it's not I needed to, but it's kind of just reignited my, yeah, come on, let's do this like, yeah. kind of feeling that um, of, of being an independent author. So yeah, it's been good. How about you, David? You've you've had a birthday. Yeah, forty five now. Um, mm-hmm. Playing in the second half. It's um, I feel about forty five. I think I think I get away with it. I look forty five. I feel forty five. No, I am 45. You, you you don't look a day older than forty two. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I definitely I look young naked. Definitely look really oh. young naked. <laughs> 
Thank you. Oh, I, no, no. This, is, this is taking a turn. I'm, I'm still 19 um, when I get out of the shower. I know that much. Um, but no, yeah, another 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 milestone, yeah, another trip around the sun. We we are, um, yeah, we celebrated. We had some fun. I, I also, on the same day as my birthday, had sent my manuscript off to the editors, the proofers. So it was, oh, uh, you know, you know there's, there's a sense of, Liberation or something, isn't it? When mm-hmm. you when you get to that stage, it uh, it, it, yes. takes, it takes an awful lot of responsibility away from you, I think. And um, but I've spent them because it's two weeks since I last uh, we last spoke. Uh, I've spent the last sort of three days putting those, you know, the dots over those eyes and crossing those T's and, and, and doing that with my manuscript because I've got one that's coming out real soon, actually, in the next couple of weeks. Mm. And I, I, I've realised when I started off as an indie author, it was always the case of, oh, I'm not going to play the game where I am, um, you know, getting stuff back from an editor 12 days before the book is due for publication. And I have absolutely fallen into that <laughs> trap. But it's part of it's part of this whole series writing really is that when, when I release book three, in the back of book three, there has to be a link to book four. So you are always mm. plotting ahead when you're writing in series. If you're if you're following the format where you, you really want to link each book into each book and, and, and have the readers snap the next one up as soon as they finished one. Um so you you're you're are planning ahead, you've got publication dates, I mean you're just giving yourself those sort of time frames and I had to do that in order to make this work. Um yeah. you, you sort of this is now the third book in a row where I am, you know, still working on manuscripts and it's to be up on it's not even on Vellum yet. And it's to go up on KDP in like five days time. So it's <laughs> you know, that's how that's how tight it is. But it's it, yeah, once once I've dotted those I's and crossed those T's and I have a, a, a final uh final, final manuscript uh, um getting it up on Vellum and sort of then published to KDP is, is really just a, a half a day's work. It's not it's not a huge undertaking because Vellum is such a neat piece of software. So I'll be doing that over the next week. But yeah, the last week has really just been sort of getting to that stage and then and, and whilst it was away with the editor, I was sort of setting up what the ads and, and the social media will look yeah. like composing my newsletter. So it's it's really about the launch. But the launches of these sequential books in this Lenny Moon series, they haven't been selling massively. I want to, me and Rob had a, had a chat about that actually. And then we said, let's, let's save this conversation because Rob was giving me so many good nuggets that we, uh, we said we'll do an episode on it. So the next, if not the next episode, well then certainly in the next couple of episodes, we're going to take, let's take a deep dive at what my series and why book one has historically sold an awful, a huge amount. It was an international bestseller. It was number one in four different countries uh, on Amazon and why the follow-ups um, just haven't really ignited. So we will take a look at that in a future episode. But um, yeah, my last week, a bit like yours, Rob, quite productive and, and creative, which is the way we like it. Okay, Rob, our main talking point is really interesting. It's something we sort of uh, brushed upon uh, over the past few episodes, and that is other areas where authors can earn money uh, or mm. generate some income that is not just through the sales of their book. And I know we had Joanna Penn on a few weeks ago on the podcast, and she sort of wrapped both of us over our knuckles for claiming yeah. to be in the authors when really we are... <laughs> pretty much tied to Amazon a lot. Um, but she did recommend to us that one of the great ways for um, generating separate income aside from the sales of your books is, is the subscription model, which she has been heavily involved in. And of course, she mentioned Patreon is the big one. But what, what we found out when we did some research is that a brand new subscription model has been set up by authors for authors and we are very lucky to have the guys from Reem that's R-E-A-M it's Michael Evans and Amelia Rose two great authors in their own right Michael and Amelia thanks so much for joining us on the podcast and thanks so much for setting up Reem yeah thank you we're excited to be here twins Okay. Yeah. No. It's um. It's really wonderful to have you on. Um. Thank you for joining us from from across the. Is it the Atlantic? Or the oh, come on, Robert. <laughs> Jesus. I I didn't do geography. Uh, <laughs> but um. Yeah. No. So 
I mean, Dave has given you a wonderful uh, introduction there. Um, we're absolutely thrilled to have you guys on the on the show for us. So uh, we'll hand over if you guys just both want to introduce yourself to our listeners, and then maybe one of you can kind of give a nice overview to what Ream actually is. Yeah. Uh, I guess I can in, uh, introduce myself first. Um, so I'm Amelia. I am a USA Today bestselling author of Spicy Romance. I have about 30-ish books out. Um, and I actually started publishing through the subscription model before I published on any retailer. So um, I like am very I, I very believe that anyone could do the subscription model and succeed at it. Um. But mm-hmm. I was doing it for a while on Patreon, and because I write spicy romance, they censored me, and it was just not a good a, not a good um, oh, place to have my subscription because posts were everywhere, books were everywhere. So we kind of created Dream. Wow! Yeah, Michael, your your books look uh, amazing as well. Both your products are fantastic and um, so michael what you said heard obviously you really knew about subscription models did you know about it before you um had published no not before i had published no right. and i knew like i knew that specifically a lot of youtubers i would follow some podcasts you know had subscriptions that you could kind of support them through but i had no idea that like actual fiction authors are making money doing this so mm-hmm. i remember like when i first was getting started how i would describe myself as a world builder at my core so my worlds used to be very depressing and dystopian and post-apocalyptic but hopefully there would be a good ending that was what i was always interested in um so that i published 12 sci-fi novels i started i guess 2017 is when i published my first one so i've been kind of in the industry for six or seven years now and after doing that mainly focused on Amazon, KU, the Facebook ads, Amazon ads, which are great strategies. I, yes. I honestly got burned out. I wrote like nine books in about a span of 12 months in a gap year. And I realized by the end of that gap year that I had zero like data on my customers. I really only was able to make money like by like selling more of the same book. So I was not able to build a deep relationship with my, with my fans any sort of way. And then I kind of pivoted to YouTube and live streaming where I noticed all these different business models people are running. They were making money not even like off the platform. People would say like, oh, YouTube makes up 25% of my income. Like the platform that they're getting discovery on was a small portion of their income and they're building business in different ways. And I'm like, wait, why can't we do this as authors? So that's when I started experimenting with just like, there's something else here. That's what I like to call the creator economy where we can build our own businesses, build our own platforms and be able to expand our income. But I had no idea what that really looked like, to be honest. Um, I knew there were some authors doing some things here and there. But then I met Amelia um, and Amelia was like the lead author of this new serial fiction platform and they asked me to join and kind of help run it and we both were like not our thing but when we met each other we're like this is we've been waiting for like people like each other i had this big vision amelia had this big business an incredible subscription model and i just didn't even know what she was doing was possible and then when she told me that like the platform she was using really wasn't built for her Mike, this seems like a perfect starting point that we can start with. And her husband happens to be a software engineer, Sean. He's incredible. So it was like, oh, this is like the perfect starting point. And that was a little over a year and a half ago. And I think in that moment, we all just were like, we're going to we're going to do this. We're going to dedicate like the next decade of our lives to this. Um, and uh, it's it's gone well so far. So that's a little bit of um, my background, plus how we met. Amazing stuff. Well done, Sean. Uh, thanks for shout such, out to Sean. <laughs> such a shout out to Sean for such expertise. Um, g- well done, Amelia. You nailed a good one there. Um, <laughs> right. So some of our listeners will will be thinking, hold on, subscription. Hold on. Let's let's start in the beginning. That's what they'd be thinking. So, yeah. I mean, subscription models seem to be everywhere, right? It's 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 really hot at the moment. But everything we are watching now on television, we've paid a subscription to watch it. What we're listening to uh, on our earphones on the phone, I've paid a subscription model. And it can work for any level of creative. And what we've got listening to this podcast is hundreds, well thousands now, and um, we're growing, um, of authors who are all creatives and they do not know, or most of them don't. And we are the two hosts of this show. And we've been at this game probably similar time to you, Mike, about 2017. And we haven't really got our heads around how we as creatives can take advantage of this subscription model. So in a simple question, why are subscription models a good avenue for creatives to earn money, Amelia? Um, it's uh, th- There's a lot of different reasons. One of them, there's, yeah. you have a lot of 
broad question. No, Sorry. you're good. Um, you have a much direct um, connection with your reader and you can form community a lot better when you're doing a subscription model rather than you're an Amazon, for example, and you're publishing a book and your readers are just reading the book and that's it. You can try to get them to your Facebook yeah. group. Not a lot of them convert. Um, yeah. But in a subscription, you can have your readers read the book with you and you can have them comment on specific lines or specific paragraphs. And they are forming that connection with each other and with you and with your story all in one. Meanwhile, you're getting their email address. You can message them, email them whenever you want. And you have that more direct connection with them. So something happens you can reach out and be like hey the book is pushed back um but on amazon you just have your newsletter list that you try to build maybe through uh, yeah. epilogues or bonus scenes or, or whatever it is so that's one reason yeah, i like it no you're so right because because we have digital businesses the four of us and, and the listeners to this podcast it, it really all comes down to owning the data doesn't it? Yeah. If you can attach yourself to your audience and you can have an ongoing conversation with them, it really just expands your business. Now, and Robert, you and I have often talked about that. Yeah, I, well, I, I come from a data background before I became a full-time author, so I base most of my decisions in life on data. Um, so I couldn't agree more. And one of the biggest frustrations is you know, not having access to who's bought your book. That's that's the, the, the biggest yeah. um, obstacle, I I genuinely believe, in the indie author game. I don't think it's the, oh, you're not seen as indie, you're not seen as real authors or anything like that. I think it's not having that data to do exactly what you said, Amelia, which is build that connection. And I guess from from what I picked up from from what you said there and from what I understand on subscription services is, you know, you can build a mailing list. People willingly give you a mailing list. They, they, you know, they, they sign up and they get a free book or whatever, but then you just drop into their email and, you know, not everyone's really good with their email. Some people just bypass an email, whereas what you're doing this way around is essentially they're, they're paying to hear from you, right? That's that's kind of the the, the difference there. You can do both, yeah. actually, uh, which is pretty cool. So, like, for instance, you could have someone follow you um, on Ream, and when they do that, you get their email. Like, they're opting in to receive email notifications from you. So you actually get their email. You can export it and bring it to your mailing list. That's part of the whole thing that they're opting into. But then we'll also send emails automatically on your behalf for free to them when you make community posts, which are similar to newsletters, or when you have chapter or story updates. So it's... What's interesting about subscriptions, and it's something too that like I hope can be a takeaway for folks, because let's face it, like and then the whole world is not gonna run off this podcast in the next twenty four hours to have a subscription, right? Yeah. Where and and nor should they, right? Because it might not be the right time in your career, all these things. There's a lot of individual it's always individual. It's always running through yes. advice you hear from me and Amelia through a filter, right? Yes. But what I do want everyone to walk away with is that your readers are technically already subscribing to you. Now, what I mean by this is that when we normally think about a subscription, like what we're talking about in today's podcast is a reader paying you directly, right? So a reader paying you a recurring amount, either monthly or annually, and it's to you. There's no middleman, nothing like that. Yeah. But what we're used to seeing subscriptions in publishing is the KU model or the Audible credit model, whatever the model is. Readers, one, are already subscribing to things. And two, even if they're not actually subscribing to you literally from a payment relationship um, or they're not even subscribed to your mailing list on a communication relationship, which both of these can overlap. They don't have to overlap. What is always true is that if you are building a business where your fans are coming back continually to read more of your stories, you basically don't have a publishing business. So your fans are effectively subscribing to more content from you, even if it's not a literal communication or payment relationship. And that's why like this concept of subscriptions isn't that foreign, isn't that weird. It's just marrying the actual reader behavior that drives the success of publishing businesses with your actual business model. Great. Yeah, that makes so much sense. It really makes so much sense given that we have the tools to make that sort of business work or that venture work. Um, I'm a good candidate for Reem, I have to say, um, because I have 8,000 on my mailing list and I have 4,000 followers on Facebook. And again, my problem Great. is only 60% are opening my emails. And when you when you post to your following on Facebook now, I mean, it's even less than 10% are seeing my posts. 
So it yeah. makes sense for me to start to gather a community of followers on a platform like Ream and, 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 and sort of not only help me communicate better with my readers, but, you know, because I, I am a business and I want to earn more revenue and, and I can go that way. And Joanna really opened our eyes when she told us, like, one of her best friends is earning £10,000 a month just from their subscription model because they're charging everybody. They have a 1000 on their following list and they're simply charging them £10 each for access to, um, you know, whatever it is they're offering. So what what would you say to somebody like Robert and I? We have decent fan bases now. We're selling a decent amount of books, which has given us full time at this author game. What could we offer for, say, five or 10 or maybe even £20 a month for a, a subscription model gone a little bit higher that would make our fans or even fans of Ream say, I want to follow this guy? I, I think it would depend if you're coming at it from a nonfiction point of view, so like your podcast, or if you're right. coming at it from a fiction point of view, because um, they yeah. might be a little bit different. Like, for example, um, for fiction, we have, we, we're seeing like two different models come up for subscriptions. One of them is early mm-hmm. access. So that's like you, your readers get access to your book, whether that's in a serialized format every week or just a book drop before it's released anywhere else. And then we yeah. have exclusive bonus content. So the content in your subscription, it could be like a epilogue or a bonus scene with your, their favorite characters. That is right. exclusive to the subscription and will never be anywhere else. So those are like the two models that at least fiction authors are using right now to yeah. build their subscription business. Yeah, it, it was. Yeah, what I was talking about really was our, our fiction sort of works. We, we'll have to work out um, some sort of subscription model for the the podcast as well. But yeah, to, to capitalize on this sort of fan base that we've collated. I, I mean, I collated it and it was really, it was a fan base I could communicate with. And then suddenly the algorithms change, you know, the iOS yeah. update and everything just, and I guess we're in a digital business and we have to accept that these things will constantly evolve. But what Ream does brilliantly, or these subscription models, is it really collates that audience for you and, and it opens the dialogue and the communication between you. Yeah, it makes it easy. I would actually recommend like in your in your space, like the biggest thing that I see, especially like y'all, like very established authors kind of get caught up into is like you want to do something big with your subscription. Like you have all these ideas because I mean, you, you're, you're professionals. You've been in the business for a long time. You you know your readers, right? You actually do. I mean, obviously knowing exactly what they want is always the the bet we take, but you at least have a lot of ideas. And then what I see the kind of issue become is you launch your subscription, you spend all of this time on it. And then one, actually t- finding the time to spend all of the time <laughs> it takes a long time. So you don't actually get around to it for yeah. months. And then when you actually do launch it, um, you might realize, ooh, I was wrong about this. I was wrong about that. And you kind of spent your time inefficiently. So in the long run, you can make it work. But in the short run, you spent a lot more time than you needed to. And ultimately, especially for y'all being full-time authors, like that is it's one of the hardest jobs in the world to manage time-wise, truly. Yes. Um, there's so much that you're doing. So what I would recommend doing is really starting from first principles and thinking, how can I set up the most simple subscription possible and get my first $5 or my first $10, $10 or, or pounds. Um, we, we love all currencies, right? So that is, that's the idea. Like, how can I do this simply just to test what my fans are interested in? So this is why, you know, Amelia, I mentioned the early access model. Why we usually recommend leading with that is not because that might be your ending model, but because you have a lot of leverage in that. You just have to go and set up your subscription, set up your tiers. You're not creating any new content for it. So if it doesn't work out, right, from a risk perspective, you didn't spend any new time developing that content. But other models we recommend are effectively like pre-sales. Like, so if you're doing like a book box or something of that nature, like you were talking about 20 pound tiers, right? Um, you yeah. could do merch, things like that, that people subscribe to um, yet quarterly. You're not going to be spending upfront development time on that merch or book boxes in a subscription model. You're going to sell it first and then deliver it to them three months later. And that's the key insight here. You're getting money first. That's the great thing about subscriptions. So that's how I would think about it um, when you're actually experimenting with your tiers. Don't go through and like build a whole merch thing and then be like, let's see if my fans are interested. See if your fans are interested first. And the best way to tell if they're interested is see if they're paying for it. Or if you're not trying to drive paid members but followers, you can then offer maybe your offering early cover reveals maybe you're offering other things like that in your free community but that's still the test like before i actually do it let me announce that i'm going to do a cover reveal yeah then let me bring them in and then i actually do the cover reveal rather than being like 
the other way around. I developed all this content. Now let me see what I do with it. Because you already have developed a ton of content. You don't need to spend more time that might not be used wisely. Brilliant, yeah. It's a fascinating answer. It really is. And I've, I've, yeah. I've got a, a good question. So something I've been banging back and forth in my head when it comes to dabbling, thinking about going in for a subscription model. Um, David, I've chewed your ear off about it a few times, is when it comes to certain genres. So um, I know, Amelia, you write spicy romance. Michael, you write sci-fi. And I know that they can... Both of those genres can generate quite uh, rabid fan bases. Now, from the data, I know, so I'm going to use myself as an example here. I write action fiction, so I think like Jack Reacher, action hero type stuff. And I've now just started going into, I've just released a detective novel. The first detective novel came out a couple of weeks ago. I know from the data I have, which is basically like, a, a decent Facebook following when I'm quite an active group. Whenever I post stuff, I get a lot of um, a lot of engagement from it. Um, my audience is slightly older. I think I've got quite a, um, sort of probably above 40 plus probably for the Sam Hope, you know, the rugged action hero. And there's quite a lot of, um, say, probably older women who like the detective book. How would I approach, say, a, say I, I kind of feel like a subscription model is almost a generational thing, where would, have you found any struggles or anything out with regards to like age barriers? I would, the thing I'm trying to say is, is would my fan base be that open to a subscription service when all they want to do is read a book? At their core, they're still going to be reading your books and your subscription. They're just paying for it a slightly different way, having a slightly different relationship to it. But the core of a subscription and what I think, honestly, like is limiting sometimes about the retailer model, but obviously there's benefits to it. Like It's an and world, not an either or world. But yeah. when you're on a retailer, everyone pays the same amount, right? Um, that means that everyone gets the same experience, whether they're a new reader or someone who's been around for years. So you can give people who love your work, who are maybe paying a little extra through a subscription model to get an actually better experience. They're getting more of what they love. So that's the core thing. The second thing I'd say is that, um, you know, there definitely is, like with any generation, like there's there's definitely, as readers get older, there's more friction in switching ecosystems, but there's way Mm. more loyalty. The best customers in the world for any internet business are, I think, typically like 40 to 60-year-old women in middle America. They They tend to have the lowest chart, which is really good for authors because that's who tends to be readers right so yeah. um that that what it means though is lower churn might be harder to get in but there's three tactics that i'll share in 30 seconds that could help get them in one do a limited time um launch of your tiers and close them so there's actual urgency right when you create urgency you speak in language people already know it gets people over the over the edge effectively you're just trying to get people over the edge into a new ecosystem it's so easy to learn once they're there but it need 60 seconds feels oh easy no 60 seconds is you got to get someone to take a jump the next thing um, when I say 60 seconds, that's the time to like create account, enter and payment information. Um, the next thing would be um, a discount or a promotion, which you can do on Ream. It's really hard to do on other subscription files, but you can do it on Ream. You just, you just email us and we'll create a promotion for you where you can discount your tier, offer free month, offer two, three months, whatever you want to do. And then the third thing is making something exclusive to your subscription, um, which Amelia has already talked about as a subscription model. But when something's exclusive and only available there, it just incentivizes yeah. people switching. Great. Yeah, great. Great answers, guys. Uh, really impressed with I'm impressed with your whole uh, business model. And it makes so much sense. Yeah. When Rob and I first started thinking about this um, a few weeks back, and I I, I, I sort of went into no, no, quick numbers in my head, I'm thinking, I have a fan base or a readership base who tell me, oh, you're my favorite author. And, you know, they, they hit me with, with this praise. And when I think of it, I release three books a year and I'm selling them for about three ninety nine on Kindle. So these people who think I'm a great author are giving me about a product of about I get about six pound fifty from them a year. When really, if they're saying I would I like what you do and I'm giving them more of what I can do, well, suddenly that can become ten pounds a month, right? It just makes it just makes so much sense. So it's it's what I want listeners to do is reamstories.com. Hop onto reamstories.com. It's R E A M, and just um, have a look at uh, an awful lot of the um, acknowledgements and and the authors that uh, Michael and Amelia have worked with, and and just what they're doing to really turn the heat up and the volume up uh, on their 
revenue. And, and uh, uh, do you know what I want, I want to ask you before I, I ask you to um, plug yourselves with a sign off? But is there so if I have a four thousand fan base, say, um, who are following me, do you guys have a percentage of how much that fan base will transfer over to subscription? And then I also wonder, it is a bit like Kickstarter. My wife did a Kickstarter and her fan base didn't actually follow her into Kickstarter, but she found a new fan base on Kickstarter as well. I guess that's what would happen on Ream too. We will find people who are already following Ream. They go, oh, this Robert Enright guy looks interesting. I, I might follow him for, I might try him for £5 a month or something. That, the fan base doesn't have to come from our already readers, right? A little bit of both, I would say. Oh, yeah. So, and definitely more leaning towards like on a platform like, you know, Kickstarter, right? Like you're going to see rewards proportional, like a lot of your existing audience can be brought in. So we are actually launching Discovery on Ream where there will be the ability for readers to find new authors on Ream in like the next couple of weeks here. So probably the time most people actually get around ah, creating their account, like that's going to be live. So that's going to be huge. And to give people a perspective of like the Ream ecosystem versus like, let's say something like Kickstarter, which does have a, a good bit of organic discovery. Um, the publishing category on Kickstarter, um, when you take out outliers like Brandon Sanderson, does somewhere around like $25, 30000000 million a year, wow. um, which is great. Um, yeah. And Ream is closing it on a million dollars a year, and we launched six months ago. Wow. Um, so the, the ecosystem is going to be actually pretty significant and definitely the next year. So I do think there will be some definite organic discovery. But with that said, um, a lot of subscriptions is connecting you to your existing audience. And... In terms of percentages, I said this when I was on Joanna Penn's podcast and she proved me right. But I say this only like I say this with hesitance because there are outliers on both ends. But a yeah. typical range to expect is like a one to five percent conversion rate from a mailing list of like, you know, readers to your paid subscription. And I would say five percent tends to be those who are like closer to that is people who are buying from backup books. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a more it's a more let's say targeted or warmer mailing list and if you're doing more promos it's on it's it's a colder mailing list it might be close to one percent but there's also your offer there's also there's a lot of different yeah, variables more. that affect yeah. it but joanna penn uh her subscription is four percent of her audience uh i said it because she said it live on air with me so i feel like it's a pretty comfortable range but if you're like out of that <laughs> range i would say we can help you get there um we want to help you get there we have a facebook group podcast that are just focused on helping you grow your subscription so i think if you're not there it's possible to get you there and those are the ranges we see She's like she's like the head teacher of in the authoring, Joanna. It's almost like she <laughs> always has a whip out. She always has advice for anybody who she's talking to. Awesome. Okay, and Amelia, then if you could just talk us through the process, tell us does, does an author who say me, um, I think I can do this. I think I could really sort of improve my um, the generation of my revenue by going to through this subscription model. Where do I even begin? Yeah, so first, I would say create an account, get into Ream and kind of check it out and see how you want to use it for you. Um, And then with that, choosing which kind of model you want to use. So if you want to use a early access model, um, really kind of flesh out what that's going to look like for you. It might be like serializing your content or it might be releasing the entire book like a month before it's released on retailers. Um, But every author is going to be a little bit different. Um, after that, I would just start building out a little bit of that content on Ream. So when people come over, they're like, yes, he or she has content here. Um, building oh, out those so I can even start just creating content without charging anything. I'm just on the platform. I've got a profile. If you want to, yeah. oh, okay, so you can ease yourself in at your own pace. Yes. Oh, one, 100%. Great. Oh, that's not yeah. here. So I would build out your tiers and then start inviting people on. Brilliant. That's great. And to hear more information, you guys have a wonderful podcast. I've been listening to it over the past few weeks since I became aware of it. What's the, the name of the podcast? And, how, and you can listen to it wide, right? It's it's on Spotify, everywhere you can get your podcasts. Yeah, it's um, subscriptions for authors. Yeah, you you guys are doing a great job. Thanks for all you're doing for the In The Author community. Um, we hope we can build a, a bit of a relationship with you guys and, and we'll have you on um, quite often. We, we would love to have you to, to face the seven questions separately at some point, but um, even just for yeah. your expertise on subscription models, we really appreciate, appreciate all you're doing. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having us. Cheers, guys. To In The Author. 
David Lyons, hallelujah. Ooh. Robert and my hallelujah. Cause two windy uh, offers gonna give it to you. Cause two windy offers gonna give it to you. Monday morning we're in the spot. It's time for the mail back. Wow, vocals and bass and everything you're giving us this morning. Nice. <laughs> and but what what our listeners can't see, David, is is you were smiling through that one. So that, that was obviously wasn't the worst one I've given you. <laughs> Smiling through gritted teeth is what I would call that. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't smiling. I was just gritting my teeth. Um, but anyway, it is time for the mailbag, David. And <laughs> we had a question sent on our Facebook group. So if you are listening and you're not part of our uh, Facebook group, please do check it out. It's the two indie authors. We've got a growing community where it's not just David and I answering questions. A lot of our listeners and a lot of our members, they share experiences, share knowledge. So definitely check that out and on there friend of the show dustin carter who's joined us on the seven questions before he has said i'm looking into formatting my books myself i'm pretty sure i can do it with the right software i just need to know what is the best software to use he's exclusive to amazon and he wants all of his books to be available in paperback hardcover and ebook and he also has an apple computer david i think ours is probably going to be rather unanimous on this one yeah, in one simple word there, Dustin, Vellum, um, particularly given the last line you used there in your question, if you're using um, Apple, uh, whether it's really compatible with Apple. I mean, you can get it on Macintosh as well. I think you use it on Mac, don't you? Or on um, on Windows, Rob, I mean. Vellum. Yeah, I do. So I, yeah. I, I subscribe to, um, there's a like a website where you can, it's called Mac in Cloud, and it's where you can basically pay for a certain number of hours where you can have access to your own Mac, essentially. So I think you pay in like a pound an hour or so, a dollar an hour, and you get like 35 hours per right the payment. So um, I log into that and then I get into my own personal Apple Mac so I can use um, Venom when I want to. But I'm not on an Apple. I don't have any Apple technology. Tech, right. Yeah, but it's definitely, it's definitely, it, it, you don't have to have Apple. But given that Dustin has, it's certainly the uh, answer for him mm. uh, here. It's it's a really great piece of kit. You, If you write in Scrivener or in Word, you're really just transferring your manuscript. Uh, literally just draw, uh, drag and drop into this piece of software and it will format for you. Now, it will probably format to the extent of about 90 to 95% Rob, right? You, you still have a bit of mm-hmm. fiddling around to do, make sure those chapters are separated and and um, the back matter and front matter is, is, is how you want it. But um, it's, I think, Rob, did we check this recently? It's about £129 vellum. Might be a little bit more. I think it's than, more that. It's I think it's more than I think, I think it's about two hundred and fifty dollars. I think it's about two hundred and fifty dollars. Oh, well, I one-off payment, though. Right, you can buy it as a one-off payment, right? So it is an investment of sorts, um, but it's definitely one that will save you a lot of money and, more importantly, a lot of time uh, throughout your indie career. Yeah, and there's a, there's a couple of other small features that we'll, I'm going to shill it. I'm going to shill Vellum here. Um, so when we talk about back matter, you want everything lined up. You can stick in the back of your books. If you're wide, you can put in links to all the stores and then generate different files for the stores. So you're not uploading a book, say, to Kobo, which has an Amazon link in it. It will always have, and it, all you need is like the unique ASIN number or the book number for the for the platform. So all of that is phenomenally good technology. The other thing is you can drag and drop so you can drag and drop all your back matter from one book into the next book. So you don't have to try and, you know, re- you can just configure it. So it's linking to the to the correct books, yeah. things like that. Um, and then I would just uh, going to throw out there that, you know, we support Vellum quite a lot on here. By, we, you know, we talk about it quite a lot. You and I both use it and we would never recommend something we don't use ourselves. I put it in the Facebook group that we are now an affiliate of uh, Vellum. We, right, so. Yeah. Um, there's a link on our Facebook group. So if you are thinking of buying Vellum, you can help support the show by going through that link and then the two indie authors will receive um, some payment from Vellum for it. So that's a a win-win for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Ch- check it out. It's uh, it's an affiliate. Rob and I wouldn't use an affiliate with with a company we don't use. But more, I think what really helped us cut a little bit of a, a link with Vellum was that it, when we ask what's the one piece of software you use to 
all of the authors as we do uh, when they face the seven questions. Vellum has been the loudest mm-hmm. and certainly most prominent answer there. So, so we are big fans of that uh, and, and we do uh, highly recommend it to us. Okay, Rob, it's time for our favourite segment of the show. It's the seven questions. And we have uh-huh. a really interesting guest joining us uh, for this last patch of the show. So we have on the line Jamie West. Jamie, thanks very much for giving us a half an hour of your, your day today. No worries. Thank you for having me. Not at all. No problem. And you have written an amazing book. Uh, it looks amazing. Death on the Pier. And now this is going to be part of a mystery series, uh, the Bertie Carroll mystery series. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about, you know, how this book has done since it's been released and, and what the plans are for book two? Yeah, it's done really well, actually. I've been really thrilled to see um, how everyone's reacted to it and actually really reacted to the characters, which is good because hopefully mm. it will be, you know, there'll be a few more uh, books in the series, which is going to yeah. be brilliant. And e- each of the books, because I work backstage in theatre, I'm really inspired mm. by the theatre buildings myself and yes. also lost theatres. There's lots of lost theatres all over the UK yes. um, and especially in London. And this one in the first book is in Brighton. Yeah, um, the, and Pier, the Palace Pier Theatre. Exactly. And that's that's the Palace Pier. You can still walk down today. There just is no theatre at the end of it anymore. Uh, um, so uh, it's not the one that's all ruined. It's the one you can actually go down, which is which is quite fun. So you can well, still I, sort I of was, visit it. I was finding that fascinating just reading about your, your book earlier on, but you actually work in a theatre, so you're getting all this inspiration. Yeah, no, it's right. fantastic. Because when you go all these theatres... Um, they kind of have scars to them, but they wear their scars beautifully because every show that goes in leaves something behind, like on the walls, or on the floor. Yeah. Um, you know, in the Prince Edward Theatre, when I worked there on Miss Saigon, we crashed the helicopter into the back wall and that mark's still uh-huh. there and it will be there forevermore. Yeah. And, you know, just when imagine it, all the hundreds sky, and yeah. hundreds of shows that have been through um, and done the same sort of thing. So, yeah, they're really inspirational kind of places with that sense of history, which is so yeah. good. Yeah, great setting. Really is a great setting. So is you, you released this book um, a year ago. Yes, that's right. And October last year, yeah. October last year, and it's done really well. So you're you're clocking up uh, over 130 reviews, um, very positive reviews as well on on Amazon. So uh, uh, people are who listen to the show who are really just starting out and and have that first book out, and they're still sort of, you know, at a stage where they they haven't quite pushed it yet. I think you're going to be a fascinating insight for those, uh, Jamie. So I'm looking forward to seeing how you handle the seven questions. What do you think, Rob? Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree. And it's exciting to have um, an author on the show who's crashed a helicopter into a theatre wall. So uh, it's the first time we've had uh, had that on the show. So, I um, think so. I'll have to check that, but I think it is. <laughs> always good to be a first. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, yeah, let's jump straight into the seven questions, shall we? So, uh, Jamie, I will hit you with question number one, which is, are you a full-time author? No, I'm not. I do this alongside um, what we just talked about, a very convenient Uh full-time job um, because it's only in the evenings. There's the odd matinee day, but it's only really in the evening. So I've got most of my days relatively free to write. So you think I'd be a bit more productive than I am, but, um, you know. (laughs) (laughs) How long did it take to write book one, if you don't mind me asking? It went quite quick. I'm trying to remember. I think came out over the course of two or three months but it had ah. been kind of festering away in the back of my mind for like a long time yeah. but then I sort of stopped and kept going back to it so there was a lot of time in between each mm. kind of draft and each revision yeah. um, which was kind of helpful I've got a really bad short-term memory so when I go back to something it's sort of like reading a completely new book every time so yeah. it means I can look at it with fresh eyes which is great I'm so glad I have a yeah. terrible memory <laughs> yeah. I will just jump in there because of that ability um, our listeners can't see this you've got a bookcase full of books but surely you only need one book on your shelf <laughs> it's every time 
book is a new store. Well, that's a fantastic thing. Like murder mysteries, it's like fine. we love we love the Poirot show on TV and like mm. watching murder mysteries, and I can watch them again and again because I always forget. Sometimes it comes back, but a lot of the time I forget who's done it. And my husband's like, "How yeah. do you not remember this?" But it's like, um, yeah, so it's quite good. I can endlessly reread the same things over and over again. <laughs> oh wow, that's like that's a bit like a superpower actually in some way. Maybe yeah, just no, for authors, though. Yeah, creators. Yeah. <laughs> it's just quite funny. Sometimes I read stuff back and I'm like, who earth wrote this? This is like, yeah. sometimes it's terrible, but, you know, fingers crossed. Sometimes like, oh, this is great. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like, I like the redrafting. I like the sharpening up. Interesting. So, so once you've published that book, then you made a decision at one stage, which was to go wider exclusive, uh, particularly with your eBooks. Did you stay with Amazon, stay exclusive with Amazon? Yeah, so the ebook I stayed exclusive with Amazon just because I love that extra um Kindle Unlimited money. It yeah. does um it's a great thing to do. And also I think the majority of my ebook sales would have been on Amazon anyway. So I don't it doesn't feel like I'm losing out. Um but yeah. it was important to me with the print book to go a bit wider than that, to kind of get it into bookshops, even if it's just online with like bookshop.org and places like that. Yeah. Um and also, hopefully, it means it's available um, to local bookshops. So if people want to go to their local bookshop, buy my book, they can support their local bookshop, which I think is really, that's really important to me. Yeah. 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 And that's done via Ingram Spark. Um, I've gone through, it's all through the Clay's Indie thing. Oh, one. right, Clay's. So yeah. they've got they've got it in stock there and they keep topping it up as and when's required, which is print, print on the service. Nice. Yeah, and it's kind of hands-off for me. I just get a little, I get a statement at the end of every month and they tell me how many have sold, which is nice and fun. It's great. It's always nice, nice, isn't it? It's always nice being told, like, just putting your book. Because I'm with us with Ingram. I put my books in Ingram and then every month of it. So I just knock something over. Um, (laughs) Yeah, um, you stick your books in Ingram and at the end of the month they just say, oh, here you go, here's some money. Like, oh, okay, yeah, because they don't tell you where it goes to. Um, yeah, but, but okay. Let's get a little bit more under the uh, hood of the decision you've made um, with your indie author career so far. So, question number three is: name the one service you use as an indie author that you cannot do without. Okay, I worked um, with a book tour company called Insta Book Tours, um, mm-hmm. and Vic there went kind of over and above and beyond just the book tours because she helped me organize like a little launch party we did the cover reveal yeah. there were some read-alongs we had a bit of a Q&A and online chat which was really good because she's built it's such a great community to be involved in the community she's kind of built over there and obviously as indie authors it can be quite you know lonely we kind of by ourselves so it was almost like a ready-built kind of support group and they're all really enthusiastic brilliant book bloggers and they've done it all before so they can sort of help guide me through the process to publication and beyond so yeah it was it's was a book tour but it it feels more than that and that's you know Uh, i couldn't live without that i think really oh great so is that like a pr agency or a pr company or specifically for book book tours they're specifically a book tour company so yeah Ah. they do they do a lot of that and they also they've kind of branching out they do this thing called the book party which is great which is kind of a i'm going to one at the end of the month actually in birmingham where it's a bit less formal than kind of like book conferences where you kind of sit down listen to people talk you actually just get to chat and drink and meet um all these book bloggers and authors directly so it's a real it feels like such a great community there yeah Oh, love it. Drop that name again, Jamie, for me. Um, so it's Instabook Tours is the company and Vic, who I work with there, she's the one that kind of leads everything. She's fantastic. Oh, brilliant. I love a new answer to that question. I really do. <laughs> so we're hoping for every week. Brilliant. I'm going to check them out. Thanks very much for the tip, uh, Jamie. Question, we, we did say it's it's nearly 13 months now, I think, since since uh, Mother and the Pair came out. So, and you've, you've really have clocked up some great sales and really great social proof. Um, so how have you done that? How, how, how how do you market your books really is is question four well luckily my husband who also works in theater he does marketing so we've had a lot of conversations uh-huh. over the years about marketing and kind of how it works so i've got a bit of a you know i've got a good starting point yeah just listening to him talk about the stuff he does even though it's shows and theater stuff that he does you know a lot of it's very similar because yeah you just need a great product yeah 
and then you need to tell people about it. That's that's kind of it. Yeah. And I think getting the product right, getting that book right, um, you know, you've reached the holy grail. Someone's got your book, and if it's got formatting issues or it's riddled with typos or all of that, you can run the best marketing campaign in the world, but they're not going to pick up your second book, are they? Oh, yeah. So yeah. I think that's really key for me. Was really making sure that was spot on. Yeah. Um, but then NetGalley was also. Um, a really important tool for me if expensive because it's not cheap um, but at the beginning of the book's journey you can get a lot of early reviews in which you can then use in your marketing and then they'll yeah. put those reviews on you know on the first day I had like a good like 15-20 reviews Great. straight away which helps tell people about the book um, so that was that was really kind of handy and then most of my marketing spend which I don't do much of it's quite small but it's all on amazon which is just making sure my book is visible it's kind of yeah if you don't do anything there it doesn't always kind of show up in the search rankings or whatever so yeah. kind of giving a little boost there making sure it's visible um and then hopefully people get drawn in by it fingers crossed yeah oh yeah it looks amazing yeah the package it puts together looks so fantastic there, there was yeah, I love three... that A plus content bit. Oh, yeah. I had so much oh, yeah, fun with that. Content, <laughs> yeah. The A plus content is, is great. I'm a massive proponent of uh, A plus content. Yeah. And um, you, actually, you actually made some really good points there. I mean, again, I don't think we've really had many people mention NetGalley. Um, it's not something that's really ever been part of um, my kind of launch kit or sure. things like that. Yeah. But it's, it's a, it is a useful tool. Like I said, it can be expensive, but it's it's where people can get hold of your book pre-launch um, and it yeah. can help drum up interest. You'll see a lot of bloggers will, will, will mention uh, NetGalley. The two, the two real big points you made there, one that was really good was um, if your book's not great, you can do all the marketing in the world, but they're not going to buy the next one, which kind of really hammers home a point David and I make all the time of how like, professional your book needs to be. So when it comes to yeah. editing, formatting, proofing, all that stuff, if that's not in place, you can spend all you want on marketing. You're not going to retain readers. Um, yeah. But, but the other really good point you made um, is, you know, drawing on your husband's marketing ability because uh, a lot of people, you know, as long as you've got people who are supporting your journey, so many people you'll know in life will have transferable skills that you can bring on board. So David's wife is a creative coach and I know she's done a lot for you, David, with regards to like getting you yeah. in front of the camera or getting you... Um, promoting yourself yeah. my wife my wife works in in comms for communications for some massive companies since we've been together so she'll always look over like my mailing list and things like that because she'll just say oh you might want to tighten that up there or you could change this phrase here just because she does it for a living so the fact that your husband might be marketing theater shows about 90% of what he does can be transferred into the marketing of books. So it's great that you draw upon that. And I think it's a really good point to make for our listeners if they're ever yeah. struggling with um, like nailing down a, a, an element of their business. Is there someone they know close to them who can probably offer them a steer, perhaps? I think it's a really good yeah. point you've just made. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's really important to get that kind of outside... Um, you kind of influence before you get too far in your marketing and deciding what it is yeah. because like on NetGalley and even giving it to my husband to read beforehand um, he tells me what it is rather than what I think I've written um, so there's no point in marketing the book you think you've written you've got to market the book that it is and what people are seeing out of it and yeah. again like NetGalley and getting it in front of people early um, and like you said because it's my first book I don't have anything else to go off. I don't have any previous books, any quotes. So whether I use NetGalley again next time, I'm not sure yet because, like I said, it was expensive. Yeah. But to come out the gate with some quotes and with some things um, was a real boost because, again, like people's – you can't beat word of mouth, really. That yeah. is the best marketing there it, possibly is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the product has to be good, yeah. Yeah, and social proof early on can be a real game-changer. Um Moving on to question number five, what's the one thing you know now that you wish you knew from the outset? Um, so this one, I guess this goes kind of before being an indie author and almost just writing in general. And that's that there's no one way to do anything. And that was really, I think, holding me back for a while because, you know, I saw 
you know, quote unquote proper writers yeah. doing their thing and kind of just churning yeah. out a book. You're like, well, I can't, I can't write like that. I can't do that. Um, so it's really good to kind of listen to other writers share their experiences, whether it's in articles or on podcasts and things like that. Yeah. Um, but then you have to kind of do it by yourself. You have to invent your way of doing things. Yeah. So it's it's kind of good to listen to all. It's kind of a way of getting free experience that you didn't have to get experience. You can listen to other people. And then it's all kind of tools that you just kind of keep in your little toolbox. And when you feel like, oh, I remember this writer did that, you can kind of pull it out and go, oh, that's the perfect tool I need for this moment rather than a kind of, it's not a template to copy. You can't yeah. copy what someone else has done, but you can kind of steal all their tools and keep them away for like a rainy day. And it's like, oh, maybe maybe I should do a character breakdown this time, you know, or something like that. You know, exactly. all these little exercises you can do, yeah. Yeah, it, it's a drum we, we repeatedly beat on, on the show. It, it is, it's, you, you do have to sort of take inspiration and it is, that is one of the, I mean, the internet gave us, you know, the occupation we have in terms of been able to publish our own books um, but one of the great things is, is it, it can give you that sense of community and if you get it like we get it in the in the author world and you can you can lean on other people it's great but we're so always repeating that you can't copy it has to be it's it's a creative art it's so you, it has to be your version of uh-huh. what somebody can make a success of um, so yeah that's something we do that's a great answer to that question you, you, they're all great answers actually I'd uh, be interested to what you say to this one now, Jamie? What's the, what's the biggest frustration for you as an indie author? Well, I don't know. I don't necessarily have a frustration as in like a frustrating experience mm-hmm. because so far, like my book journey has really been um, an overwhelmingly positive one, I think. Yes, um, this right. is perhaps more of a frustration I have with myself. And that's that I find it hard to accept sometimes what an achievement it is and that I am a legitimate author. You know, even though the book I've written, it's gone through the same like editing and production, which I think is kind of identical to the process that would have happened if it had gone traditionally published. You know, the end result, the quality, I hope, I think is the same anyway. Yeah. Um, But because I've done it myself, it feels like I'm cheating. It feels like I've used a cheat code. So whenever I do go out and meet, um, traditionally published authors at events here and there you know they always seem really impressed they're like oh my god you're an indie you've taken so much on that's really impressive right. and I'm always quite quick to put it down I go oh no but it's just self-published you know it's just me and um, I find that frustrating I wish I didn't do that basically I think but, wow yeah that, yeah that happens a lot yeah yeah and I think it's something that you know I've I've spoken to other indie authors and I think it's something that we all share that it's you know we're so you know not ingrained but with the traditional publishing process is feels like the be all and end all it feels like that's the way it's done and anything else you do outside that like I said it feels like a bit of a cheat but it but it's not you're now it's not I turning get- out the same quality products I think you know if you're yeah. doing it well hopefully but if you if you heard Jamie of a new cool indie band who are hitting it hot on, on a record label that they set up themselves you'd be thinking fair play to them you know you, you really would and we just we, we do I, I don't know whether the, the term self-publishing has really sort of hit a, a stigma with us guys which is why we prefer to use the term indie publishing I guess which sounds yeah. a bit snobby but um, I, I just think that in any other art form we sort of really appreciate independence but when it comes to publishing books for some reason that stigma of self-publishing seems a little bit you know still heavy there's still a weight in that I think yeah no there is and I think that term indie authors like you use it's the perfect term for it because it combines the two things it combines being an indie publisher with being an author and they are two separate but can join things it's True. not you're not just doing the author part and throwing it out there you're also doing the indie publishing part as well you know it is both of those things put together it isn't you know a shortcut yeah and it and the, the the thing to always remember and i'll say this for you if this is a frustration for you and for any of our listeners once you're doing this for yourself and like you jamie you're selling books you're getting good reviews you're actually doing it better than a lot of publishers or actual publishers who you know you can go online and see the tragic state of what the traditional public uh, the average traditional author earns or what you know their sales are like or how quickly they're 
you know, flavor of the month with their publisher, then the next book comes along. So once you're, you can get over the hump of being like, oh, I, yeah, I'm an independent, and you're putting it down. Once you're, you know, higher up in the charts than all these traditional published authors or authors who have signed up with smaller independent publishers who are taking their cut, and you're above them or you're selling more than them, you're actually doing it better than what you're striving to think is the be all and end all. If that makes sense, and once you can connect those, yeah, absolutely, and get over those humps, it then makes it really, really. Um, like a really gratifying process. I mean, I love it. Yeah, I love it when I'm ahead of like Lee Child in the charts. I'll be like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really funny, isn't it? Because I was like, I sort because I was doing that. I was sending it out and querying it and getting some feedback from agents here and there. But I gave myself like a cut off date. I was like, right, if in January oh, no agents have picked this up, um, I'll start exploring. You know, doing it myself. And as that date approached, I was almost sitting there fingers crossed I was like oh you know what I hope no one does pick this up because it's got to the point now I've kind of researched everything that I was going to do and how it was going to work and I was really excited about actually doing it myself so as much as I was still sending it out and trying to get it picked up I was like oh I hope it doesn't you know yeah (laughs) yeah, absolutely that that is my favorite part of it I love writing novels and and being creative but I also love the little business that it is like an independent publisher I like the creative part of advertising and newsletters and sort of trying to capture my audience and all things like that so yeah it's it's just a little business that I I I really enjoy running yeah it's definitely definitely something to be proud of it's wonderful it's a really wonderful thing so yeah hopefully the the further down this journey you go Jamie the the easier that frustration will disappear for you Um, yeah so this has been a fa- fantastic chat. Um, you've already given loads of great little tips and hints for for our listeners. But before we let you go, um, what's the one piece of advice you would pass on to our listeners? Okay. Well, this is gonna. I think this is gonna sound worse than I mean it. But um, it's have low expectations. But I don't mean that in a negative way. Like. I'm quite a relentlessly positive person, so stay yeah. positive. Um, <laughs> but the problem with expectations is when you go in with preconceived expectations, you kind of end up judging everything by this pass-fail standard. So even if you do 99% of everything correct, but you've missed what your expectations were by 1%, it feels like you failed. It feels like a fail. Mm. Yeah. So if you kind of don't have those expectations, or you can still have targets and things you want to achieve, but you kind of don't go in with the expectations of achieving them everything then becomes a joy you know Uh even when i was getting rejected by agents and i was sending it out and i was getting you know i get some feedback and they say but you don't want to represent your book it would still be someone's read my three chapters it was i felt it was really positive (laughs) but i think a lot of people feel like it's like oh i've been rejected you know the default position isn't that your book is 100 going to be published you're not being knocked not yeah. back the fact you get this little morsel of advice from you know someone in an agency is a really positive thing they've and most of the time you know sometimes you get a template reply but a lot of the time just the odd sentence you'd kind of see there is like well they have actually read this and considered this and yes. you know still said no which is fine because um again like because of the theater world um we see this a lot with actors um there's always a bigger picture involved you can be a brilliant actor you can go in and do an audition and you can sing the song fantastically you can be a brilliant actor you can be a brilliant dancer but there's a bigger picture you're trying to fit in this actor with other actors and a bigger show and you're trying to put something together and obviously in the theater you get to see that you get to see the final product whereas in the book world the way that agencies are managing their authors and how they're putting their list together you don't get to see that and and that why yeah. it feels a bit like a black hole sometimes um uh-huh. but there is yeah there's there's a bigger picture going on and if you're not part of it that doesn't mean you're bad or wrong it just means you're not fitting in what they're trying to do at this point in time uh, absolutely yeah what, what wonderful positivity jamie yeah i'll Love have it. to i'll have to loan some of that off you <laughs> i know to do a self-help book don't i yes <laughs> yes yeah. i'd listen to the audiobook absolutely uh, jamie thanks so much they were wonderful answers and, and yeah. I, I mean me and rob have already taken something from it so no doubt um an awful lot of our listeners will too thank you so much um as i said for giving us your time today we really appreciate it 
fantastic again thank you for having me it's been great to kind of think about what i'm doing and kind of look back at where i am you know we don't often get the opportunity so yeah it's been great answering those questions thanks for asking them thanks jamie it's been a pleasure I mean, David, wasn't it absolutely wonderful to spend 20 minutes, half an hour in the company of Jamie? Wasn't he a lovely man? Yeah, he's such a nice guy. Yeah, um, both be- be- before and after we recorded and while we were recording, such a gentleman. And, and, and somebody, do you know what I admire about this, uh, about Jamie Rob is he's only one book in, but you can already see he- he's taken so mm. much on board in, in terms of long-term vision. So he knows it's the start of a series. He knows that the series uh, or the cover uh, it can be sequential we can we can change this and put it on book two and three and four and it will look branded mm-hmm. and so he he's really is thinking ahead and it, it makes sense of course because we, we got to know Jamie a little bit over the past week and he's he's such a creative person even his day job is is enviously mm-hmm. uh, creative so yeah it was great to meet him really enjoyed his company yeah and he I thought one of the points he made where he he draws on his husband's marketing experience and then trying yeah. to adapt that to the book world is brilliant and it just shows you how you can lean on people for support and how you know you don't have to do everything on your own despite being independent so Absolutely. yeah a big thank you to jamie for joining us if people want to join us david where can they join us for the seven questions yeah we have a sign up link it's on our website which is to in the authors.co.uk and um, do check that website out because it's got an awful lot of resources that uh, you might be surprised about and uh, you can find help from me and rob and even some of our contributors in the community uh, also you can join our facebook group to in the authors podcast and at the very top top of that um page you will see rob has pinned a link for you can mm. sign up for the seven questions we'd love to have you on the show Yes, absolutely. So, David, I'm going to let you go before I do. What are you doing? You're not launching a book this week, are you? It's the week after. It's the week after, but I will be uploading. You know, I, I still have to format mm. it and upload it. Um, I will be doing that the first few days of next week. Um, and I will feel liberated when that's done. Although I, I, I will also have put the next book, which will be is this. the fifth in the series. That's on pre-order for late March. So I've, I've got the first three months of the next year to sort of get into that. But between Mm -hmm. now and the end of the year, um, I really want, I'm going to be focusing on this Alec Ferguson screenplay thing because I've I've neglected it over the past three or four weeks uh, whilst I was trying to get this novella done. But yeah, I'm I'm, I'm chasing that novella, that series, uh, just like you are, Rob. And what about you? What are you doing next week? Just writing. Going to smash out NaNoWriMo, finish that off. Um, And yeah, just... You know, hopefully just keep plowing on down this road of being an indie author. Um, so yeah, I'll uh, I'll speak to you next week, David. Indie.